Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Issei Sagawa spent much of his youth fantasizing about eating human flesh. It's not surprising that, while in college, he invited a young woman back to his apartment so he could make his fantasy become a reality. This is Monsters. Issei Sagawa was a child of wealthy parents in Kobe, Japan. His father, Akira Sagawa, was the president of Kurita Water Industries in Tokyo. His mother, Tomi Sagawa, nearly had a miscarriage after falling down a flight of stairs while she was pregnant with Isi. He was born premature on April 26, 1949, and his parents said that he was small enough to fit in the palm of your hand. He had one younger brother, Jun Sagawa. Isi was a tiny baby and later grew to be short just under 4 foot 9 inches, or 144.8 centimeters tall as an adult, with thin legs and small hands and feet. He became obsessed with tall women with more Western features. His own shortcomings made him fantasize about finding the quote-unquote perfect woman. He says he was obsessed with American actress Grace Kelly. His small build and introverted nature made him gravitate towards books and he became a fan of literature, even pursuing a degree in the field. His mother, Tomi, 
was very protective of her little boy. She ended up smothering him and making it difficult for him to develop any autonomy. Isi was introduced to the idea of cannibalism when he was just a toddler. His uncle would celebrate New Year's by dressing up as a giant boy-eating monster and chase Isi and his brother around, threatening to gobble them up. Isi's father, Akira, would play a heroic knight who would try to destroy the giant, but he always lost and the giant would grab the boys and take them to his giant cast-iron cooking pot. These games had a lasting effect on Isi, and as he began reading, he would always look for fairy tale stories that involved people being eaten by other people, monsters, or dragons. He said that Hansel and Gretel was one of his favorite stories, and he fantasized about a witch catching children and fattening them up. He began sexualizing the idea of himself being prepared and eaten. Isi was very intelligent and loved school, though he really didn't have any friends. He kept to himself and focused on his books. Learning academically was something that he could do much easier than learning to be social. He claimed that his first cannibalistic desire was in the first grade when he saw another student's thigh. He thought, quote, mmm, that looks delicious, end quote. Sex was a very taboo subject that his parents never talked about. He didn't recall ever hearing his parents say the word sex. When he reached puberty and got his first erection, he thought there was something wrong with him. He thought he was sick. He didn't know what masturbation was, let alone how to do it, so he would do, in his own words, quote, weird things like have the dog lick it off, end quote. He began having a very distorted view of sex. Once he reached high school, he moved away from fairy tales and began reading literary works of the Western world. He read books like War and Peace so that he could focus over and over again on the detailed descriptions of the female characters. Easy began referring to these women as angels, with their pale, fair skin and long, beautiful legs. Tall, beautiful women would trigger his desire to eat human flesh. He didn't want to kill them, he just wanted to chew on their flesh. Archaeologists believe that cannibalism has been practiced for hundreds of thousands of years. Prehistoric cannibalism was practiced for a variety of reasons, due to the idea not having any stigma at the time. One reason was simply the need for food. The person was dead, and the flesh was edible. There was also a theory that before burying the dead was a common practice, they were eaten in order to keep scavenger animals away. Even in more recent times, using human remains for various medicinal purposes was not uncommon. In modern times, cannibalism has become socially unacceptable, though it's technically not illegal in either the United States or most European countries. It's usually the means of how the person became deceased that's the crime. People who have been known to consume the flesh of another human have generally been charged with murder or desecration of a corpse. One example of legal cannibalism is the consumption of a placenta after giving birth a practice that has come back into fashion in more recent years. Psychologists believe that most cannibalistic desires today stem from some type of delusional disorder. Cannibalism itself is not listed as a mental illness, and the desire to eat another human being, outside of absolute necessity, is usually either drug-induced or from some type of psychosis that was caused by childhood trauma. E.C. began solidifying his connection between sex and cannibalism by masturbating to vivid fantasies of the Western actresses he obsessed over. He would imagine caressing the skin of actress Grace Kelly before eating the flesh from her body. 
He introduced violence to the scenarios, imagining a tall, strong woman while she was showering before sneaking up and strangling her from behind. Eventually, he would no longer be able to become aroused without the fantasy involving death or cannibalism. When Isi was only 15 years old, he sought out a psychiatrist, but the doctor wouldn't allow him to have sessions over the phone. The boy was far too embarrassed to come down to the psychiatrist's office and talk to anyone about this subject face-to-face, so he wrote the idea of therapy off as something he wouldn't be able to obtain. His desire got him into trouble the first time in 1974, when Issy, a 24-year-old university student in Tokyo, began stalking a German woman. He found out that she lived in the same building as his grandmother and learned that she didn't always close her windows at night. Isi went to her home and waited for her to fall asleep before climbing into an open window. His intention was to knock her out with an umbrella, grab a knife from her kitchen, cut off a piece of her buttocks, and escape with a small morsel to eat. He claimed that when he went into her bedroom before retrieving the knife, he brushed one of her legs and the woman woke up. When she saw the young man standing in her bedroom, she screamed and he fled. In an interview, Isi said that he was charged with attempted rape and that he didn't correct authorities by letting them know his true intentions. He was interviewed by a psychologist who believed he was a danger to society, but the charges against the young man were quietly dropped and he was never punished for his crime. It's not clear why. Isi completed his master's degree in English literature in Tokyo and decided to attend the Sorbonne University in Paris, France to earn his PhD in comparative literature. He made the move in 1977, leaving Tokyo on April 26th, his 28th birthday. If Issy was trying to suppress his sexualized urge to kill and eat an attractive woman, Paris was not the place to try and do it. He was now on his own, surrounded by beautiful women in revealing clothing which was a stark contrast to his conservative upbringing. After being in Paris for about two years, Issy started bringing home prostitutes almost every night with the intention of killing and eating them. He would wait for them to use the bathroom to wash up before pulling out a gun and pointing at them from behind. He could never bring himself to follow through with the killing, though. He said there was some force that kept his finger from pulling the trigger and that somewhere in his mind he knew that, quote, the world I lived in would shatter to pieces the minute I pulled that trigger, end quote. It wasn't until two years later that Issy would meet a fellow student named René Hardevelt, Rene was born in the Netherlands in 1955 or 1956. She had come to Paris for the same reason as Isi, to study literature. Isi said that she was beautiful like the other women at his school, but was much more friendly. While riding the bus home from school one day, Isi noticed that Rene had been riding the same bus. They both shared a literature class together, so he sat next to her and broke the ice with idle chit-chat about school. The following day in class, it was suggested that the students meet up outside of school at a Greek restaurant. Though Isi was not one to join large social groups, when he saw that Rene had agreed to attend, he also agreed to attend. At the restaurant, the other students expressed a desire to try Japanese food, so Isi invited them to come to his apartment where he would prepare them a meal. When the night in question arrived, the only student that showed up for the dinner was Rene. He said in later interviews that he didn't carry out his plan that night because he hadn't prepared ahead of time. He assumed there would be more people over and didn't think that he would be alone with her. While they talked in his apartment, she revealed that she spoke three languages fluently, English, French, and German. Isi took this opportunity and offered to pay her to tutor him in German. Being a college student who was short of cash, she happily took the job. 
When she arrived for the lesson, E.C. had planned to kill her, but he said he couldn't do it. He said he hated himself for all the times that he had the opportunity to carry out his plan but couldn't follow through. He thought of himself as a coward. Unlike many murderers, E.C. still struggled with the idea of taking a life. He had an internal struggle between his overwhelming desire to kill and eat a beautiful woman and his conscience that told him killing was wrong. We'll be right back. Over time, the two became friends and Renee would regularly visit him at his apartment for tutoring sessions and meals. When she would go to the bathroom to wash up before eating, he would find himself holding the gun but not able to shoot. The battle inside his head was finally overcome by his desire to kill on June 9, 1981, when Renee came to his apartment for a German lesson. While she was sitting at the desk with her back towards him, he retrieved his 22 caliber rifle and quietly pointed it at the back of her head. He took a breath and squeezed the trigger. Click. The rifle misfired and he quickly hid it back in the wardrobe. Renee hadn't seemed to hear the sound of the rifle misfiring and the young man sat down next to her, pretending to focus on the German lesson, something he wasn't really interested in. It was just a means to get the young woman to come to his apartment by herself. Two days later, on July 11th, E.C. invited Renee back to his apartment, this time telling her that he needed help recording the audio of some German poetry. That was a lie. Again, as she sat at the desk with her back toward him, Issy crept up behind her with the rifle and shot her in the back of the neck. He claimed that he actually continued talking to her for a few seconds before she fell forward onto the desk and then slowly fell over onto the floor, taking the chair with her. He had finally done it. As he stood in shock over the fact that he had finally killed this young woman, watching the blood pool around her head, he fainted. He said he passed out due to the excitement of fulfilling his dream, and when he awoke, he undressed Renee and flipped her over onto her stomach. He tried to bite straight into her buttocks, but his teeth were not sharp enough to pierce the skin. He tried using a small paring knife, but that didn't work either, so he went out and bought a large butcher knife. When he first cut into her right buttock, he said the left one was closer to her heart, and he was scared of blood, so he started with the right one, because, you know, crazy people. When he cut into the buttock, he thought he would get to meat immediately, but what he found was a yellow substance that he later learned was fat cells. He then cut through the layers of fat until he found a chunk of red meat, which he tore out with his fingers and ate raw. He said that it tasted like raw tuna. He said that when he first woke back up, he actually felt rather ill and didn't feel any of the sexual desires he had imagined for all of those years. Once he took a bite of her flesh, he began having an erection. He rolled her body over onto its back, cut a piece off of her thigh, and put it into his mouth. The actual act of eating her caused Isi to become overwhelmingly aroused, so he stripped off his clothes and had sex with the partially cannibalized body. Isi spent the next few days cutting off other body parts and eating them or wrapping them up and saving them for later. He ate her thighs, lips, neck, tongue, and part of her face. He said he was excited to eat her breasts until he cut them off and found out they were nothing but fat cells. He took pictures of her body at every stage of the process. E.C. also left his apartment to dispose of all of her clothing except for her pants, which he kept as some sort of trophy. After a few days, the corpse began to smell foul and attracted flies, so E.C. went out and bought two suitcases. He dismembered what remained of the body and packed it into the suitcases. He called a taxi to take him to a local park. 
The taxi driver allegedly commented that the suitcases were heavy and joked that he had a body in them. He told the cab driver that they were full of books. He took the suitcases to the Bois de Boulogne Lake, where he intended to shove them into the water. He arrived at about 8 p.m., but since it was summer, it was still pretty light out. There were people all around the lake, sunbathing still, so Easy walked around the lake until he found a secluded area. He began pushing the suitcases down a slope toward the lake, but they were extremely heavy and he stopped to take a break. A man came up and asked about the suitcases, and when he opened one up out of curiosity, he saw a bloody sheet and part of a woman's body. As Isi fled, the man yelled to a woman that he was a murderer and they called the police. The police were able to track the luggage purchase and the cab ride back to Isi. Two days later, when police arrived at the cannibal's apartment, they found pieces of a female body inside his refrigerator. Isi confessed to what he had done and also pointed out that he suffered from mental illness. Yeah, you think? When the judge heard Isi describe his crime, he found him not fit to stand trial and ordered him to the Paul Giro Asylum for an indefinite amount of time. After being held without a trial for two years, the French people were expressing outrage that they were paying to house the killer from Japan. Isi's father, Akira, used his wealth and power to work out a deal where his son would be transferred to a psychiatric facility in Japan. An article had also just been published about Isi, which turned him into a sort of macabre celebrity, and France was eager to get rid of him. In 1984, the French authorities agreed to drop the charges against him and transfer him to the custody of a Japanese hospital. The psychiatrist at the Matsuzawa Psychiatric Hospital in Tokyo found Isi to be sane and believed he should be in prison. But since France had dropped the charges against him and sealed the files, authorities in Japan had nothing to charge him with, and he went free. On August 12, 1986, Izi Sagawa checked himself out of the Matsuzawa Psychiatric Hospital and has never answered for his crime. Not long after his release, he was struggling financially and got a call from a magazine asking him to write an article about a recently caught rapist. He said that the economy was good and they were able to offer him a ridiculous amount of money. Then, a manga producer asked him to turn his experience into a comic book. Isi has released multiple books. His first book, which describes his horrific killing and eating of René Hardevelt, sold over 200,000 copies. He has written 19 other books. As his celebrity grew, he was invited to a well-known painter's studio, and the painter suggested he paint landscapes, because he thought that paintings of women were too degrading. Of course, Isi chose to paint women. Now, I don't think that paintings of women are inherently degrading, but the fact that Isi chose that after the painter had suggested otherwise is still interesting. Then, Isi published a book that contained his psychiatric reports and photos of the crime. He said in an interview that people have purchased the book and asked him to sign it, and he thinks those people are stupid. At least we can agree on one thing. A Japanese film producer named Terry Ito pitched Isi to appear in a film, and supposedly the cannibal agreed without knowing entirely what the film was about. He said that in the film, they measure his strength while making fun of him, they reenacted the story of Little Red Riding Hood with Isi playing the wolf, and filmed him eating meat. Isi was unemployable by any conventional means, but the media loved him and he loved the attention. He participated in a number of porn films where he would bite his partners. He did one porn film where he had sex with the actress, then told her what he had done, filming her reaction. 
1993, Isi met an old German man who began introducing him to Western women. They basically used his desire to be around white women to fund their trips. He did meet a couple of women, Rhonda and Talia, who would end up spending a great deal of time with him. They took trips to Canada, Mexico, India, and Iceland. Of course, Isi paid for everything. Isi claims that the women didn't know about his past at first, but when they found out, they didn't seem to mind. He said they were very laid back, and once they knew about his cannibalism, they occasionally asked him to take a disturbing photo. Once Talia's boyfriend found out about Isi, he sent her a fax telling her to stay away from him. A fax? I know this took place in the 90s, but maybe a phone call or an email? Hey, my girlfriend's with a guy who killed and ate a girl. I'd better send her this fax. In 2013, he was hospitalized after a cerebral infarction damaged his nervous system. He now is under the full-time care of his brother. In 2018, a documentary about him was made called Cannaba. IndieWire said that it was one of the most unpleasant films ever made. Isi is currently 72 years old. In one of his more recent interviews, he said he has graduated from Western women. Now, he's only interested in Japanese women, specifically from Okinawa. In the interview, he points to a picture of a Japanese actress and says that he wants to bury his face in her armpit and die. His fantasy now is to die suffering, being ripped apart alive. He says he'd prefer to be killed by a beautiful woman. Well, wouldn't we all? If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So, what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So, even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. No. Good boy. Keep your house on, pass. Why? 
We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul annual appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie.